Hey, Amanda. Hey, Kristen. I'm so excited. This is amazing. <laughs> okay, we're going to get you to this episode like really fast. So this intro is going to be incredibly short. But this is like... The, kind of a big deal. <laughs> it's it's a huge deal. So this is our first interview of season four, and it is our first male guest. And you guys know the episode number, so like wink, wink. Um, Amanda, how much is in the show notes? So yeah, so this was the meatiest amount of show notes I ever had to do. Like when you listen to Austin, like literally every thirty seconds, he's firing off like an artist's name or like a reference or check here. And what blew my mind too is how he remembers every author, every title of every book that he reads, an essay, an article. So like, he put me on my toes. But it's jam packed with amazingness. But I just want to prepare you if you're going to go to the website to expect that. And um, yeah, and I felt like his whole feminine feminism piece toward the end was like unbelievable it was a a question that's been on my mind to ask him like since I've been following him because he's so versed in like female greatness but it comes from such a genuine part of his soul that I'm glad he got to talk about it on our episode so it's great yeah so so listen through to the end it's amazing his it's just it's so good one more thing before we get to Austin I have a free course coming out today it is called the 100 questions challenge and if you want to join in, it is amazing. It will help you tell your story because you are an amazing human who absolutely needs to tell their story. You can go to theawesomeladiesproject.com slash 100Q and join me and the awesome ladies. And it will be amazing. Totally free. And without further ado, let's get to our first male guest, Austin Cleon. Welcome to the Crafty Ass Female Podcast, an audio show that talks about the resourceful ways we women are living our lives and the crafty projects we create in between. We are your hosts, Amanda Zampelli and Kristen Tweedale, and we believe you are a capable badass who already has all the tools you need to make beautiful things and make beautiful things happen. We're just here to remind you. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Austin. Hey, y'all. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Our first male guest, Kristen. I know. We finally allowed a guy onto the show with us. Secret access. <laughs> I know. I, and I can't go ahead. say how excited I am. Genuinely. It, this is a privilege for me. So thank Have you. Have you ever been on a podcast who has a butt in their logo? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm trying to think now, but no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Welcome. Anytime I throw that up to anybody, it's always like, oh, my God, I love your logo. That butt is just amazing. And I'm like, yep, that's Amanda. Everybody loves a good butt. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> right. So today we have Austin Cleon, New York Times bestselling author of no two books. And now your third book, Keep Going, comes out tomorrow. I'm we Amanda and I devoured it. Uh, it's amazing. I think it's your best book. Well, thank uh, you. Your first, well, your second book, but I think the book that probably everybody knows you best for, Steal Like an Artist, was what, part of our crafty-ass book club. Right. It was our first book club selection. So I have it here. Um, it has our sticker. It has the sticker. I, I love I stuck, it. And I there's the, the butt. On. It is I task crafty-ass female book club selection. But we're going to get into like so many things. Tell us, Amanda has a little introduction, so... Amanda, do your little introduction, and then we'll let Austin fact check you. 
Guys, if you've listened to the podcast, you already know our guest today, Austin Cleon, because you've probably been part of the book club and read Steal Like an Artist with us, but he's here today. He describes himself as a writer who draws, and his two books, Steal Like an Artist and Show Your Work, have over a million copies in print. If you didn't know him, you can check those two out. And his new book, Keep Going, A Guide to Staying Creative in Difficult Times, is hitting stores tomorrow, April 2nd. So as you're listening to this, you can go tomorrow to get your copy of that. And that's why he's on the show to talk to us today. And in addition, you create poems, Austin, you give talks, you blog at austincleon.com, you send out a weekly newsletter, which is legit my favorite. Literally every Friday, it's my favorite click after work, and I'm devouring what you have to give me. Um, And you guest interview on podcasts, obviously, which is why you're here. So yay. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Fact check and all that was good. I think all of that was accurate. So well done. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Tell us more. Where are you now? Um, (laughs) I'm actually on the south shore of Lake Erie right now. Um, My wife's family is from around here. And so we're kind of camped up here for book tour. Um, so we're missing oh. Texas terribly right now, and we're all jonesing for a uh, hot plate and some queso. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're uh, so yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm a little bit outside of Cleveland, and I, the lake's out my window, so it's kind of a nice cool. a big change of pace for us recently. Yeah, and cold. Extremely cold. <laughs> yeah, there's a. It's uh yeah, I had forgotten how cold it was. Um Does it ever get <laughs> that cold period in Texas? Um you know, like the high today was like in the 50. No, I mean like Austin sees snow every once in a while, but I mean it really has to it's an event. You know, if it dips below freezing in Texas, it's it's kind of an event. We went I went to Austin for a girls weekend in mid-April one time. Oh, yeah. And it's probably 90 I, degrees. I was going to say it did not go <laughs> below 95 the entire time we yeah. were there. Yeah. I think I need to move. And spending you know <laughs> you know my t- my time in Michigan, I feel like it's, you know, it's either cold season or warm season. Right. And you get like 6 months of winter. Yeah. And now we're just, you know, just kind of peeking out of that winter season yeah and you're just like if you're right on that lake you're really feeling it oh yeah and i i was reading a post you wrote um on your blog about how it was a few weeks back about how you handed your book off and how it was no longer a part of you and it was no not yet a part of anyone else and then i got your book yesterday and i was like oh my god it's yours now it's a part of me now (laughs) and then i started reading it and i was like okay i can't wait for this to be a part of everyone else too 
Oh, that's sweet of you. But like, no, I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna get a ton of flowery praise because you like you're going all over the place. You've got a great book tour, and you're headed to like some really good food cities. Yeah, definitely. And so I'm like really jealous of all of the really good food cities <laughs> well, you're headed towards. Don't be too jealous because it's probably gonna be like hotel room service at like 10 p.m. <laughs> after a gig. Right. It's not like let's really visit. Yeah, I mean book tours. Rough. I mean it's it's fun. I mean it's awesome and fun. And I try to sneak away to some good like stuff, but it is it's it's just the schedule gets crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, if anyone's listening and going to see Austin on their (laughs) book tour, bring yeah, bring (laughs) him good food at the book tour. That's that would be yeah great, or some cookies. Cool. Yeah, bring him like you know. If you're in New York, bring him pizza. If you're in Philly, go to Gino's and get him a cheesesteak. Like, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. please do that because you should not ever go into Philadelphia and ever not stop at Gino's. It's like an actual sin. Yes. Um, Kristen's so good with this stuff. She tells me all the time, like, find good food here. Yeah, that's the big thing hand. I miss the most about Austin, actually, is the food. Yeah. We're really missing hot plate and queso. <laughs> it's like... Did, I already said yeah. that, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Jeez. That's one yeah. of the places, that's one of the ways that you can really start to connect to people and to places is through food. And yeah. I think um, one of the things that I really loved about your book was put down the phones, put down the disconnect. Yeah. And I think food is one of the best ways to disconnect from like digital everything because you need to pay attention to what you're doing when you're cooking you need to pay attention to what you're doing when you're eating sure i mean in some ways it's a more direct like authentic expression of who people are and you know you've kind of inspired me because i'm probably going to be eating alone a lot in these next two months and one of the things that you kind of always do when you're traveling is you're like you got you know your phone in one hand and you're eating with the other I I, I you've kind of inspired me to try to disconnect even if I'm alone and kind of like just enjoy my meal and look around and people watch yeah it's a really good good idea one of the best things that you can do in a, in a restaurant is like really keep that menu with you yeah and, and like see like okay why what's on this menu why does the the chef have like this ingredient in like three or four of the different dishes well what's so special about this ingredient in this uh you know situation is it is it local to the area is it special to the chef you know what is it that's why is it paired with the protein is it is it the produce is it so these are things that like really make me you know and what's the story of these ingredients and why are they important to the quiz are they important to the cuisine are they important to the chef are they important to the the story of the meal that's being placed in front of you yeah all this kind of sounds like anthony Bourdain, and you yes put him in there which i love yeah he's the last i think he gets the last words in the book um which i loved i think like i I love what you're saying and it also reminds me that when i eat in a restaurant alone when I'm on tour, I try to sit at the bar or by the kitchen. I try to like sit somewhere where I can watch the kitchen um, because it's just weird to eat alone at a table. Um, But I also, it's great. Like I love all the street food now too. When you're like traveling around, like as a, as a solo traveler, it's like really easy to just like go up to a food truck now or like 
just a to-go window, and it's like some of the best food you'll have. But I, but I, you know, it is nice to just sit in a restaurant, and that's the one thing I love about food is just like whatever you're in, like whatever you want, like you can have that. You know, sometimes there's nothing better than sitting in a great restaurant and taking it slow, and then sometimes there's nothing better than a room service cheeseburger. You know, mm-hmm. so it's just like whatever, what have you. But yeah, I always, I you know, there, there's a couple of things I try to do in each city. Like when I visit, like I try to, you know, I try to have some good food, of course. And then I try to visit either like an art museum or a library, usually. I'm a big proponent of library tourism now because I, I think there's something about libraries that you can really get a feel for a place because a library is a spot that all the people in the city can go to. Um, I think you can really get a flavor of a city like going into like Seattle public library downtown versus the, um, you know, like the downtown library in Los Angeles or, you know, know, something like that. Like it, it is interesting how you can kind of give the flavor of the place. And it's not necessarily to read all the books. It's to like oh, feel... not at all. Yeah, yeah. It's to <laughs> like get the vibe and wanna... to see yeah. different kinds of people than you would see at just the airport and the hotel and all That's that. Cool. Yeah, I like to think that you're in a library and absorbing the information somehow because you're absorbing information somehow. Like, I mean, I know you're an avid reader, but I'm like, you are my favorite sifter of information. I guess that's what I want to say. I love how information filters through you. Like, I almost don't want to hear what anyone has to say about anything unless you tell me. (laughs) So so I kind of think that that's, that's like your secret sauce is you're a super sifter. Well, that's part of, yeah, I guess that's always been intentional on my part. I mean, blogging's always been like the kind of, like, I mean, a lot of what I do now is because, um, I, you know, I started this a blog and I needed to put something on it, you know? So it's kind of like the blog has always kind of been a place to make work for um, rather than like I had all this stuff to share and I started a blog, you know? Um, but I feel that, you know, curation is kind of an overused term now, but I do feel like sharing the work of others has always been like an essential part of, of what I do as a, as a writer. And so, um, it's always been important to me to, to share the stuff around the work and not just the work, you know? Yeah. That's kind of why I think this is your best book yet. I keep, I keep wanting to call them your first two books, but they're like, they're not your first two books. So like, let's, you Rewind. could say the first two books, like in okay, the trilogy. The first that two would books. be fine. Oh, yeah. yeah, sure. <laughs> oh yeah, like did George Lucas do anything? He did. He before. did. Like, what, and, okay, what was it? Well, no, no, it it's interesting. I don't want to go into like full George. George Lucas is one of my favorite people to talk about because I think he's a cautionary tale. Um, George Lucas, Lucas started out doing like kind of art films. So he did THX one one yes. like whatever that movie is. It's qu- right. It's like it's something that I could never remember the right. actual name of. Yeah. So it's like kind of an arty, dark film, and then um, the big hit he had before Star Wars was American Graffiti. Oh right. Yeah, and there's 
it's interesting because there's actually an interview with Francis Ford Coppola where he's talking about how Star Wars was the worst thing to happen to George Lucas. Because in his opinion, if Star Wars hadn't happened, like Lucas would have done like all these kind of artsy fartsy movies that Coppola would have liked him to do. You know, and instead he kind of like got sucked into this franchise. It's really funny because J.K. Rowling has been doing silly things on her Twitter account lately with fanfic and yeah, maybe going a little bit too far with her characters and maybe not keeping the canon inside of her novels. Yeah. And there's been some like, well, you know, well, what if George Lucas did that? And I said, well... Disney said that George Lucas couldn't do that. Right, yeah. And so I think there's a really good point to say that, well, Star Wars maybe was the worst thing that ever could have happened to George Lucas. Well, and when we started talking, we were talking about the gulp, right? We were talking about the, you know, I was I was blogging about that moment when you finish the thing and it's not yours anymore, but it doesn't belong to anyone else yet. Star Wars is an example of when you make something, it just completely gets away from you. That it just like doesn't become your thing anymore, um, and it is problematic for someone like George Lucas, I think, who has a real vision of what he wants something to be. And um, the but y'all might find this interesting. I don't know if you know much about Marsha Lucas. Have you heard of Marsha no. Lucas? No. So. Um, Marsha Lucas was uh, the editor on Star Wars. Um, she's one of the only people that's ever won an Oscar for Star Wars because I think Star Wars won for like film editing. And I think Marsha Lucas cut American Graffiti, and she might have cut like a couple of Martin Scorsese's movies. I don't, I don't remember. But Marsha Lucas, who, who was George Lucas's wife, right? Um, they divorced right before Return of the Jedi. Um, and there are several people who say that she was really, including Mark Hamill, you know, the guy who played Luke Skywalker, yeah. he's one of the people that says that Marsha was really the heart of those movies and that Marsha actually pushed him. There was like a... Um, do you remember the scene where Luke and Leia are about to like swoop over the... Um, they have the rope... And, and the stormtroopers are shooting at him oh, yeah, and they're about yeah. to like do that really romantic swing across the chasm thing. And she kisses him for good luck or yeah. something. George Lucas wanted to cut that out of the movie. And Marsha, this was just like one small example of Marsha being like, no, you got to keep that in. That's funny. And like on Raiders of the Lost Ark, she pushed him to the ending where like Marion and, and Indiana Jones are kind of like out on the steps and stuff. That was all Marsha Lucas. So there's this whole kind of, um, you know, there are people who say that she was the heart of those movies. And the reason was because she was his filter. She was the person that was like telling him, no, George, like you can't do that. You need to like, you need to do this or like, ah, eh, that's crazy or whatever. And then, um, the first movie that I think he did without her, I think it might have been Return of the Jedi, where, you know, depending on how you feel about those movies, I mean, I feel like Return of the Jedi goes a little off course. And then Temple of Doom is the movie that Spielberg and Lucas make together. They'd both gotten a divorce. And so Temple of Doom is like this kind of 
awful movie. <laughs> and the way that Kate Capshaw is treated on screen is this like kind of just like screamy. Yeah. So I find this to be one of the best. I mean, it, it's a chunk of the story that I think is undertold. And I've talked to people in the industry and they're like, well, dude, everybody knows about Marsha Lucas. Like, come on. And I'm like, no, but like you're la- like people like me who are just fans. We don't know. And I think she's kind of been erased from the story in a really interesting way, um, in a terrible way. But I think that um, that that is like when we're talking about, you know, people who will say no to you. Like I, I think about this a lot um, because I wonder like who says no to J.K. Rowling. You know no what one, I, mean? I mean? Literally no one. If she has yeah. more money than the Queen of England, how can anyone say no to her? And as a creative person, that is a huge liability. You know, that's what everyone, like when you're starting out, you're like, that's what everyone dreams about. They're like, oh, if I had billions of dollars, I'd make this and that and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, what you need is early on, you need to find people who can say no to you in a constructive way and and people who really care about you and they really care about your work and can kind of like keep you in check a little bit and be editors, real real strong editors. And then when you get famous or rich, you need to keep those people around you. You know, those are the people exactly that you want in your crew because they will keep you from doing stupid things like Kanye West needs those people. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you can look yeah. though. You can look. You can look throughout the spectrum of celebrity and and fame and art, and just you can watch people grappling with these issues. But it's like one of my favorite subjects. You know, like, I think that's straight up absolutely right. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> I think too. Like, there's a bit of conditioning that, like, for us lay people, right? Like, yeah. not celebrity. Like, there's a there's a bit of conditioning that needs to be cracked. Like, even in some of the questions I yeah. sent you beforehand, I find myself using like, "How is your creative journey?" And then I open like page one of your book, and I'm like shit he's right I was like <laughs> and like as I'm reading I'm like wow even though I knew what you said I'm so conditioned already sure. to think of it that it's a journey and then you're like uh I you know eyeball roll and me and Kristen have talked about like this arrival fallacy thing yeah. where like you think once you arrive somewhere and like we're so con- and I think that's what your books do such a great job of doing is like trying to break some of that conditioning that we're well I th- I mean, I'm glad to hear that. I'm I'm also, you know, I'm always the – there's a reason I call myself like a writer who draws and not like an artist or a writer anymore because I really feel my myself primarily I'm a writer. And one of the things that writers do is they just kind of like – they try to take language that they feel like has just gotten a little like crusty and they kind of try to break it down or like brush it off. And Journey is just – Journey is just something that I just have always, I'm like, creative journey. Like, that just has felt so lofty to me. It just yeah. always felt like if it was anything, it was like a road trip. You know, it wasn't even yeah. a, like a journey just implied. And and again, like like you just like you just alluded to, like, a journey implies that there's a destination, you know. And, and I just don't, I, I, that's something that I've learned in about the past half decade of, of my career is, is just there is no def- destination. And if there is, it's like death. You know, it's like creative death. 
Like, if you arrive, right. that's boring. Like, you want to make sure Why? you never arrive. You want to make sure that, like, you always have, like, something you're moving towards. Like, you want to keep that horizon. You, you want to keep something on the horizon, you know. You don't want right. to arrive anywhere. I mean, that's what everyone wants, right? Everyone wants to arrive, and they want to feel like they've been accepted, and they've, like, made it. But that's comes with its own set of problems. What you really want is to just be, like, constantly churning and burning, you know. Which is the Groundhog Day idea, which I just yeah is so good, absolutely love. And you said, you said it in the book something like, um, oh my god, it literally just flew out of my brain. That's okay. I mean, you it. just read it, so uh, no, yeah, no, no, I have it, but it's it's like the words aren't there, but I know what I want to say. Sure, say that it. Makes sense? Yeah. Anyway, um, no, it just flew out. It'll come back. <laughs> It'll come in back to you. In yeah, you remember. Time, yeah. <laughs> so I thought Groundhog's Day was a great metaphor and one of the other things that I was just watching which of course everyone's been talking about recently and has popped up was um, Russian Doll oh yeah yeah which for anyone who hasn't seen it is and it's not a spoiler character character she dies in the first five minutes and she just repeatedly dies over and over and over again throughout the whole show. And similar to Groundhog Day, you know, she's trying to figure out what's going on and trying to go through it as if, you know, this is her one day. And what does she do to make this one right or yeah. perfect or the best? And I think there's so many of us who are, like, quote-unquote recovering perfectionists. Sure. That there's... We're getting all this great art out of it that give us these interesting reflective surfaces. And I really liked the way that you put it of... Like, the only thing that we're going to get out of today is what we put into today. Sure. So just... The best artists come up with a daily routine. And the one thing that I've learned about trying to come up with a daily routine is the daily routine is not what I write down, what my daily routine is. <laughs> and yeah. as much as I would like to adhere to what I have written down, this notion of, and I have it like highlighted, Figuring out what works by, like, hey, I feel good doing this in the morning. And hey, I feel good doing this in the afternoon. And hey, I feel really bad doing this at night or right after I ate. So trying to take a look at all these different ways in which this works and does not work for me is what my daily routine is. Yeah, it's a kind of paying attention to your there's a kind of like meta level of work that goes on if you're, I, I mean, there's, there's the work, right. But then there's this kind of like, you have to kind of be aware of like what's happening when you're working or you have to have a way of like looking at your, like almost like pulling up and seeing like what the patterns are, like, you know, what your emotions are when you're working and, and then trying to like make little adjustments 
throughout the day for like what works best for you. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. And my other question for you with this is how do you deal with day-to-day changes and then how do you deal with like big changes big like you know upheavals yeah when when you get a new human in the house like <laughs> right or you know like when yeah. you go on book tour like what what do you know what to keep in your day-to-day routine and what do you know like oh, yeah. this is when i throw everything out the window that is i mean that's that's a great question like what needs to happen no matter what like no matter what when the sun goes down like what do i need to make sure or try as best as i can to have happen and i think an outgrowth of that is what's portable like what's repeatable in lots of different situations and what can i take on the road with me because there are a lot of kind of daily routines that don't travel well you know um the thing i would say about routine is i think a couple of things one um, I really like Mason Curry's daily rituals where he talks about like the, the different kinds of um, like what artists did with their days. And, and there's a, there's a new one out actually that's um, daily rituals of, of women artists that's out now. Um, but I, I think those are dangerous too. And I tried to talk about this a little bit in that it's dangerous to try to take someone else's routine and make it your own. You know, a routine is really the the result of your context, your daily life, what you're trying to accomplish, what the other people who mean something to you are trying to accomplish. And so I think a routine should not – should never feel – it should never be like <clears throat> chiseled in stone. You know, it's, a, it's this constantly evolving thing. Like you said before – um, so for me, it's all about like, what is my little daily chunk of work? Like, what are the things that like need to happen in the day in order for me to feel good about the day? So like for me personally, like what, like I need to, on good days, I need to read a little bit. I need to write a little bit and I need to play a little bit of music and I need to spend some time with the crew the crew being my wife and my kid. Um, on a more granular, granular level, like for me, it's like I have to write my diary every day. Like if that doesn't happen, like that's that's a bad thing because that is where a lot of the ideas are kind of born and where stuff happens. And I try to get a blog post every day because that's like an external kind of thing that I want to have happen because if I don't blog every day, then when it comes around to the weekly newsletter there's less to link to and you know it it causes problems later and and um the way i think about blogging is and and this is kind of true for my routine in general too is like what's going to feed me creatively but also help um the general project of sustaining an audience maintaining contact that kind of thing so yeah um, daily blogging is this kind of nice mix of every time I go to the WordPress screen, I come up with something new. I mean, I, there's always some kind of discovery whenever I go there and try to actually, you know, anytime you try to write, uh, 
you, you discover something usually, you know, there's some kind of new invention when you're like trying to get something down. And then there's the, um, so that's like the thing that kind of feeds you. And then there's the putting things out in the world that helps you along. So those two things are like kind of non-negotiable for me. Like there has to be a diary entry, which is private. That's kind of interesting. And then the blog post, which is public. Um, and as long as those two things happen, like, the only other thing that I would say is really essential is, like, my wife and I try to walk every day. Uh, and we try to do it, in the, like, as close to the beginning of the day as we can. It's harder in the north. <laughs> uh, you know, when we're living in Austin, I mean, you get out early because you don't want to sweat to death. Um but that's like a really important thing. And then otherwise, I really am not a, I am not a, my brain is not doing too well if I don't read. There's something about like, if I don't read a book during the day, like I, I feel like I've lost some kind of filter. Because a, a book is, it's interesting when you're reading books, they're like a filter for the world. You kind of like, you kind of see the world through whatever you're reading at the time. And I think that's part of what's so valuable about them. Um, and so, yeah, reading, writing and, and, and then just spending, I, I try if I can to play music, I try to like play the piano or jam with my kids. Um, and that's really it. I mean, walking, reading and writing, like if I can do that in the day, like that's a good day. And I try to like organize the day around that. Cool. And then it like ties back into how like, all of that is part of just your day. So it's, and then it's leading you to each day, which then turns into like the body of work that you have, as opposed to what yeah. everyone is. And like, again, you're like checking into yourself and trying to connect with what's going to make you feel good throughout the day. Right. So it's like opposite of what a lot of creative people are saying, like, what's going to get my creativity out there? Mm -hmm. How can I make it known? You know, so yeah. then I think just all your books kind of. Yeah, and that, Smush that, was, that message together. Yeah, that was kind of what I was trying to do and show your work was I was like, what can you like what's the thing that like without interrupting your creative process, like what are the things laying around that you could just like push out to people in a certain way that just wouldn't take too much out of you? Cuz I'm really interested in there's definitely like a tension between like art the art world, like the world of your art making and then the market realities, right? Like what's the yeah. little bit of overlap in that Venn diagram that you can kind of like make happen with minimal effort? Because I think for all of us, I mean, we always want to spend the maximum amount of time doing that thing that we love, you know, and the minimal amount of time doing the other things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's and you good. No, you were mentioning, because I know one of the chapters in your book is like, feel free to change your mind, right? Or right, like, change your yeah. mind. And you were saying like, the part of that market mentality is the whole thing that we're taught is to like, you have to be a brand, right? Yeah. Like be on brand. I heard you say that before. Yep. And then, but like, I kind of, what you're saying is like, make your brand with show your work is like, make your brand a work in progress. Like if your brand is, I'm a work in progress and it's kind of like, you're letting yeah. people, I don't know. I, I, I mean, know. it's like a weird twist on itself. Look, I, I mean, you know. I just, it is true that branding is kind of like you've got one, like, there's a brand guidelines right. yeah. and like, and I feel particularly bad 
I feel particularly bad for people who are like lifestyle brands. Like I won't name anybody, but like it just seems like for people who like I mean, I suppose I mean I have Austin Cleon at the top of my website, so I suppose Austin Cleon <laughs> has become a brand in some way, but he's also a evolving person. Um and I just think that like you have to have the courage too as a creative person to kind of like not know to not know what you're doing right. and like if you only think of yourself as a brand well I have to serve my brand I have to like serve my you know you're just not going to make the kinds of discoveries that are crucial to kind of like keep you on the path and so I I think that there's you have to either like be okay with like pushing against your brand a little bit or what you think your brand is or you have to find other avenues and other like platforms and places to express yourself where you can get some of that stuff out. And so for me, like my diary is very off brand. You know what I mean? <laughs> like this is an interesting thing with me all the time. Cause people think that, um, I think people think that because my book, let me put it this way. My books are the most helpful kind version of myself that exists and i think it always it it my friends think the books are really funny because they're like you are such a curmudgeon in real life <laughs> and i and and it's funny because i i um i'm not a super i mean i write those books to make up for that you know what i mean like and I think that sometimes people have really simplistic ideas about authenticity and, like, what it means to be real. And um, for me, like, the books are – they're attempting to be, like, the most helpful. They're me on my best day, like, the best day, like, the day that I haven't had yet, you know, that, like, utopian day, you know. But there's a great Wendell Berry um, poem called A Warning to My Readers, and – it starts out somehow like do not think me gentle because I speak in praise of gentleness, you, you know, like, and I think that's a, that's a thing for writers that I think people misunderstand is that a lot of writers write because they, they're trying to figure something out. It's not because they know anything. It's because they're trying to figure something out and they're trying to figure it out on the page. And then the page, the finished page is the, residue of figuring that out and for me that's like what the books are like they're the they're the product of the process of me trying to figure this stuff out for myself does that make sense yeah yes yeah so okay so this is i think this is the fourth time i've said this <laughs> but i think this is your best book <laughs> thank you and i think this is your best book because one, I think it's your best book because I needed to read it. Yeah. And I started the reading right time. it. Well, yeah, I started reading yeah. it yesterday and I was like, oh, okay, well. Like, I started reading the first page and it was like, oh, okay, well, you wrote it because you needed to read it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. <laughs> and then I started to read it and I was like, shit, I need to read this too. Yeah. And it was, like, very clear from the very beginning that, it's only a book that you could have written after being this person who has done all of these things for a very long time. Yeah. And 
only after writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and writing. Like, you can't keep going if you've never started. Yeah. But hopefully people who are just getting started can get something out of it, too. You know, I I think that um, I would hope that you could pick this book up no matter where you are in your journey. (laughs) You see what I did there? And I think that that's that's, that's the best advice. And, like, so I have a a membership group where I teach women feminist scrapbooking. And our big class is one where I teach women how to create stories about their lives. And I just want to teach them so many of the things in here because it's so much of, well, you didn't get to do your daily routine yesterday? Well, that's fine. Yeah. Start it again tomorrow. It's a new day. Right. Yeah. It's, you know... You didn't get to keep going yesterday? Well, keep going tomorrow. Forget about it and do it today. Yeah. It's 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 not about like, oh, well, I'm Austin Cleon, New York Times bestselling author. You know, it's what you just said. I am, this is the nicest version of myself. So go out and be the nicest version to yourself. And, and that's how your artistry will grow. You will only grow as a creative if you... You know, give yourself a little bit of grace sometimes. To be kind to yourself. I mean, you know, I think we're, uh, I think we're all just incredibly hard on ourselves. I think our, you know, our our bar for where we should be, and a lot of that is exacerbated through social media. I mean, let's face it, we're on Instagram, and we see what everyone else is doing, and we feel like we should be doing better. You know, all of that. So much of social media is about stoking anxiety. Because anxiety, as any advertising person knows, is what sells things. It gets people to click on things. It gets them to buy stuff and do that whole deal. And so I think that, you know, for me, the more I lighten up and, you know, the more I'm kinder to myself, the better the work gets and the better... um, The better the work gets and the better I do. I have a picture of bill murray um not from groundhog day but i have this really picture like this picture of bill murray that's framed in my office and he's like drawn like a cartoon face around his belly button and he's like standing (laughs) in like a laundromat or something and he's making some stupid face and i wrote underneath it stay light because that's something that bill murray likes to tell people like that's his secret to like acting is if you can just stay light and loose and relaxed like that's when you do your best work and i just think we're a culture right now that's just like clamped you know like we're just like clamped down on ourselves and just like yeah yeah." and i think we all just need to lighten up and like give each other a break and you know i think a lot of it is because let's face it i mean there are there are injustices that are happening in our country and in our world right now that are so over the top and so like just they're just so in your face all the time and there's nothing it feels like there's nothing to be done about it i just think that energy gets channeled in into ourselves and and to other people you know we start I'm a teacher yeah. and i see it in the classroom the kids clamp yeah. because they don't have control over things like yeah yeah so it's just like um yeah i really i just think we all need to give ourselves a break and i and i hope the 
I hope the book helps do that. I hope it helps. I hope it's sort of a corrective, you know, and that was like the stuff, um, like it was really important to me that I said something in this book about that phenomenon where it's like every time someone shows a uh, talent for like any kind of craftiness or any kind of, you know, uh, any kind of like trade or art it's like immediately like well when are you going to start your etsy store you know that push to like immediately professionalize and monetize the things that we're really passionate about that we do for fun and or for pleasure you know i wanted to write about that because i feel like that's just such a weight on everybody now like no one has anything the market has really gobbled up all of our interests Um, and even like, even your hobbies that you think are just like kind of fun and light, there's usually some industry build up around them that like pushes, (laughs) well, you got to have, you know, if you're going to do, if you're going to do feminist scrapbooking, you got to have the right glue and the right pages. You got to have your, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm not saying that's what you do in your, but there's an industry, there's a scrapbooking industry now. Well, you know, that's the whole, like, that's how I started feminist scrapbooking because like there was an industry and it was so male dominated it was so commodified and it was so like well yeah like break out of this right exactly you don't have to use these papers and these glues to tell your stories if you want to tell stories fucking tell stories man yeah and i and i there's actually um i talk about hannah hoke in the in the um in the book the great uh, she's kind of an unsung collage artist of the Dadaist days. And she actually did some collages where she took the sewing patterns from her job and did a lot of her collages with the sewing patterns. And I always think about how there's something... I think women are more powerful in bringing some of their everyday material into their art Sometimes I think that's something that men can really learn from women artists. And I'm thinking particularly of like, you know, like Emily Dickinson scribbling her poems on the back of envelopes. Like mm-hmm. we still have those envelopes and they're so beautiful. They're in, um, uh, they're in a book called the, um, precious nothing. No, no, I'm going to forget. I can't believe I can. I'm, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of that book. Cause it's one of my favorite books. I will remember it later. Like we said later, yeah. but yeah. then like, um, you know, Sally Mann using her children and her, you know, portraits and stuff like that. I just think that, um, the, the, a lot of the artists in the book that I look up to were able to look at their ordinary world and pull something extraordinary out of it. You know, they, that they, they don't like the domestic sphere or the everyday life is, is, is a ripe place for art, you know, and finding extraordinary things in in the ordinary. And so that was, that's, that's a little bit in the background of the, of the book too. For sure. Yeah. I feel like it's like even Steal Like an Artist is like, hey, here's a great way to like curate this creativity that's like respectful and all this stuff. Then Show Your Work is like, oh, okay. And then you can put it out there in this really organic way. And this is how you, and like, because, and then, you know, whether or not, I feel it really ties into like the digital age, right? Where like people are trying, like you're saying, make something of what they love or, or just be able to 
do the most that they can with it, I guess. Sure. And this book is a little bit of like a comment on that or like a pullback on that a little bit of saying like, yeah, yeah. but also you have to sustain this right. and keep going. And I just love how they tie all three tie. Well, like that. I mean, I'm thrilled to hear you say that because that was the yeah. hope, you know, yeah. it was the hope that keep going would be a little bit of a corrective to the other books to kind of mm. let people know that like, Hey, you're going to go through cycles and you're going to go through phases and you're going to go through seasons and you're going to bottom out and you're going to need to recorrect. I, I thought about the word correction a lot when I mm. was, um, when I was writing the book, cause I felt like the book, I wanted to correct some of these things that I felt like had gotten out of whack, mm. you know? And, um, yeah, so I'm, I mean, I'm thrilled that you picked up on that. For sure. I think it <laughs> really gives us, the readers, permission to not go after everything as a commodity anymore. Yeah. And so... Which is the conditioning. Yeah, like, yeah. Don't <laughs> leave so money on the times, table. Yeah. yeah, well, there were so many times in this book where I felt like I was really in, like, dialogue with you. There were, like, multiple times. Like, there were three times that I can think of that I was like, yeah, 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 nodding my head along. Yeah, and this. And then the next page was literally the exact thing you were talking about. Uh, like, um, specifically about the point where, you know, you don't have to turn your Etsy scarf and your cake building, your cake baking business into an Etsy store. Yeah. Your scarf building business into an Etsy shop. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's like, you know, what the guy talks about in the book, The Gift. And I flipped the page. <laughs> oh, right. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> the Gift. Um, and it's just so, you remind everybody that, right, we're not in this alone. We're all going through this thing together. And no matter whether you're on day one of, oh yeah, maybe I'm a creative person. Yeah. Maybe I'm doing, I'm doing creative things. And I, you know, do the verbs, not be the noun. Yeah. Which again, is this whole Instagram thing that, like, oh, what do we put in our Instagram bio? I'm a creative. Right, yeah. Like, that, that's, that's just going to fuel mean? your anxiety. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And every creative that we've talked to slash had on the show slash that I know of is going through this shift of, like, wait a minute, I need to breathe. Yeah. Like, I feel it yeah. in everybody. Everyone's blown out. I mean, they're burnt yeah. out, and, like, everyone's overextended. And I, I feel like... The best thing that could happen out of these years for me is um, – and this is both like politically and personally. Like some of the people who have written about – oh, I'm going to forget her name. But, you know, one of the – one of the um, one of the messages of people who have gone through upheaval like we're going through right now is figure out what in the democracy you want to save and hold on to it and try to – protect that as much as you can so that's like the political part of it so like for me it's like public libraries for me i public libraries align with um my values and they're like a crucial part of the democracy that i want that i know that i care about and i know make a difference and i want to like keep a hold of so that's just like a that's just like a personal or that's a political that's like a political thing but also like i think times like this really make you think of like what is the thing that I have to hold on to as a person, as a as a individual. And I love um there's a great section of a essay by George Orwell, the nineteen eighty four guy, 
who says, and the great political writer, who he talks, he starts talking about hobbies. And he starts talking about how he feels like the English people are, are special and Britain is a special place because people still have like tinkering things. And, the, you know, this is like in World War II that he's writing about this. And he talks about how like there are so many great gardeners in, in Britain and how he feels that he felt that hobbies were a way of connecting us to our kind of internal states, but also building ourselves up as individuals. And he talked about how like being an individual, how doing hobbies was almost like a resistance against totalitarianism was basically what he was saying, because like having something that's just for you, that like feeds you, that like keeps you as a, that fortifies you as an individual. It's almost like a, it's like a immune system, you know, it's like building up your immune system for the stuff. And so that's, I just, I just love that. I just, it just clicks for me. And I think that's what we all need to do is we need to just spend less time on the stuff that really doesn't matter. And and we need to fortify ourselves, you know, and we need to build up our own immune systems and we need to be kind to ourselves so that we can then, you know, do what we need to do out in the world. Absolutely. So good. Talking with you is building up my immune system. Well, it's building up mine too. I'm having fun. (laughs) I love this. Yeah, I love this stuff. (laughs) Kristen, did you want to jump into growth and currently yeah. and maybe we'll do the feminism question in after chatter i think that would be, That'd be amazing cool. yeah. yeah yeah are we asking austin if he's a male feminist sure. <laughs> yeah you can ask me whenever uh, you want yeah okay well, okay that's, i guess that's what we're going with. i mean i would i would absolutely call myself a fem. i mean I, I would absolutely say that like um my understanding of feminism has shaped me i mean i i or my whatever i understand of it my my version of feminism that i hope is true like i I think true feminism is a is a vision of the world in which hierarchical structures are broken down and that there's a kind of egalitarian thing that goes on And, and the way that i would put it is i think i think feminism it's interesting because because my understanding of feminism jives really closely with what I've discovered about art, which is your traditional notion of art is that it comes from the great genius, that there are these special people in the world, right? And they're always dead white guys. Um, and, And they come and they visit us and they grace us with their brilliance. And the rest of us are just kind of like, we're audience. We witness, you know, we, we like, stand back and we're we're in the audience we bow to thee yeah we bow to thee and it's um the the vision of art that i've always thought was such a great corrective to that is senius which is what brian eno talks about which is it's instead of that kind of instead of it looking like a a hierarchy chart or a org chart in a corporation it looks more like a web or a tree in which um a whole mass of individuals have a part to play in these kind of scenes that happen. And that if there's someone who kind of like shines out of that scene, it's because they were able to kind of like take the energy or they had help or there was some kind of background thing that made them go. And um, I think of genius in terms of ego system. So it's like an ego with a G 
system <laughs> and it's just yeah. a bunch of egos and i think of uh seniors as a real ecosystem as there are many there are people play all kinds of different parts and it kind of makes this whole thing happen and they kind of rely on each other yes too. yeah and so if you're so the version of 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 um so so what i understand about feminism and i think a lot of my one of my favorite feminist writers is a woman named Ursula Franklin and she was a metallurgist and she she was but she did this wonderful book called The Real World of Technology which is in the back of Keep Going and she wrote really beautifully about technology and the way that technology had kind of gotten out of control but um you know her vision of feminism is that it's not a employment agency that it's liter it's not just about like lean in and you know get your equal pay and that kind of stuff that i think men get really nervous about her vision was that and god i don't want to sound like a mansplaining feminism i'm just trying to like <laughs> express Go for what it. it does for me for me, like feminism and the way Ursula talks about it and, and the other writers I really admire is that it's literally just a breaking down of the kind of patriarchal, hierarchical structure, which is like you're literally just like destroying the whole like you're collapsing that whole idea that there are people on top and there are people on bottom, just literally. And and you're talking about a, a, a kind of collective, a, an ecosystem and and I think that what we're suffering from right now in the arts and in politics and in our personal lives is those ego systems, right? Where there are these egos yeah, that absolutely. like these fevered egos. And I think we just need to go towards a, a more genuine ecosystem. And, but as far as, you know, as far as like, I will say that my admiration and my inclusion of, of, of women artists in my work and I can't say that it's like it's definitely not like altruistic or something you know it's right, it's not right. like it's not like oh I have to make sure that like yeah 50% men 50%. yeah <laughs> right. yeah no right it's more like to make my work better like because when you listen to women you and when you listen to people of color and you, when you listen to any kind of voice that's been marginalized it just makes the work better. I mean, it, you know, and so there's a certain part of me where I look at my peers who I can tell don't pay quite as much attention to those voices. And it's like, well, you're really just hurting yourself because your work isn't as rich and as interesting as it could be, just as the world isn't when those voices don't come through. And I, I feel like I've talked too much, but I I feel to me like the simple act of reading um, – so for me, like personally, you know, a big, a big part of my struggle right now is like, how am I, how can I be a good father and be a decent writer? Because in the past, they've, there are certain writers who have posed them as being opposites that, you know, you, you can only be a good writer if you're a crappy dad and you can only be a good dad if you're not like writing all the, you, you know what I mean? Like they're like, it's the pram in the hall thing that Cyril Connolly said. He said, you know, the enemy of art is the pram in the hall, which is such a complete load of crap. Um, but like for me, it's been interesting how much like reading memoirs by moms who are artists 
have actually helped me a lot more than like reading dad memoirs, which sounds kind of terrible anyway. But like, so like a book like Sally Mann's Hold Still or Sarah Rule's 100 Essays I Don't Have Time to Write or, um, oh, what are the other? Maggie, uh, Maggie Nelson's The Argonauts is amazing. Um, Jenny Offel's Department of Speculation is is fictional, ostensibly, but, you know, Sarah Manguso has written some really great stuff that's really blown my mind. But, like, these women are helping me be a better dad. And so, I, you know, it's not just... But, like, I feel like this is the great message for men and, about feminism is, like, it's not about taking things away. It's about it's going to make your life better because everything that you hate about being a man, it gets better when you take on this worldview, like everything toxic about being a dude, every locker room bullshit you've ever had to go through (laughs) every time you felt like you had to brawl or, or do like act some way that felt wrong. You know, like a lot of that stuff gets broken down if you can accept this. And so I feel like my job as a, you know, my job in some ways is to make sure that I'm not talking over women that need to be heard. It's also that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to amplify voices that I feel like are, are, are worth listening to. But it's also like, I just want out of this nightmare of being a man. You know, like I really want out of this nightmare and I don't want my yeah. son's to have to deal with it either. And that's what feminism means to me is it's a way out of the nightmare of, of being, being a awful dude. I had to tell you this question came from like the depths of my heart because I've been following you for years and years and years. And you have been the source of so many of like letting me know about so many female artists. I never would have known about if you just, and I say celebrate them, but you're not like, Hey, female artists, here we go. Like you don't celebrate them. You just include them in a way that I know they made an impact on you. So I can trust that they'll make an impact on me. Like I just, wanted to tell you that I appreciated that for so many years from you because I wouldn't have known about Amy Krauss Rosenthal or like yeah. I know you love Linda Barry like yeah. these women that I'm like I mean, if cha- it wasn't filtered through you they're my yeah. I mean they're, they've changed my I mean and, and yeah and I mean I mean I was raised by women I mean like but I I mean the, the women who have I mean the artists who have really blown my mind and blown my world open have all I mean I think they've pretty much all been women I mean like starting with Linda Barry and just on and on like um, you know, like Amy Krauss Rosenthal was a big one for this book. Um, Nina Kachadorian's work was a big, like, she's a big spirit. Karita Kent is yeah. her. Like, you huge. let me know about her. <laughs> yeah, like she's huge in this book. Um, Tove Janssen was big for this. You know, I, I, um, I haven't said this publicly, but um, my, uh, my. I always have a sentence in the background of the book and I usually don't tell people until after I'm done with the book. But one of the sentences for this book was women and children first, because Mm. I felt very much like I wanted these women who I admire to kind of come to really help guide the book. And then my interactions with the kids have had so much to do with it. 
and you know the Titanic women and children that was just like kind yeah. of something yeah, that I had yeah, in my yeah, background yeah. that has no relevance to anyone else but myself but I do think it's interesting how with each of my books I have like a secret sentence that like kind of keeps me on the path but I'm thrilled to hear that I mean it's something that I worry about constantly um, and that I you know I am reckoning with my own you know crap all the time and I just want to, um, when, when, you know, when sharing is part of what you do, you want to make sure you do it in a good way. So I, I'm just, I'm, I, and I can always improve, you know, and I'm always trying to improve. So, um, I, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Wow. No, thank you for sharing. As someone who is really judging you on whether or not you gave a good male feminist answer, <laughs> No, you nailed it. You nailed it really right on the head. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> she would. No, she she would be the one who would know. No, and I was yeah. having a really long discussion with uh, with my partner today about male feminists and like what you know, whether or not there's another word for what you would call a you know a quote unquote male. Fe- no, like no, like what um, are we gonna do? There's and yeah. and also then just just you know we get into long winded discussions of then trans rights and what do you call people on the binary spectrum right. uh, you know on, on the spectrum of non-binary you know <sighs> and i can tell you like the 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 um the gender stuff like the the um that stuff like i can tell because i'm just some hick from ohio you know like i'm just <laughs> i'm just like a i'm a like i'm i grew up in the middle of a cornfield so i can always tell like for me personally, like the trans stuff is the stuff I have to work on the most because I was just so raised. I mean, I was raised by a very feminist woman who was like, your body is your body and you that's your body. And so like for me personally, I have to that's what I have to work on as a person, you know, because we all have things that we have to work on the most. And so Absolutely. the gender stuff and the and the and the trans issues and stuff that is for me that's been the stuff that like I've really had to work and it's not that I don't uh, you know what I'm saying like it's not like anyone ever has well no I don't want to say anyone because of course we see every single day people with yeah very strong animosities and hatred yeah but there are those of us and I think you put it incredibly wonderfully in the back of your book you know don't find and I want to find the exact way you put it. What is it? Da, 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 da. <laughs> Don't find people who are like-minded. Find people who are like-hearted. Yeah. And yeah. those of us who are like-hearted don't have any animosity. We just don't have language or knowledge or yeah. vocabulary to say the right things or to say the right words. But when you understand that gender is a spectrum... And we don't just have women and we don't just have men. Then we can't just say, well, men can't be feminists because when we know that women transition to being men, women can't go from being feminists to not being feminists. So therefore, men must also be able to be feminists. Yeah. Yeah. And then in our... Logic bomb, guys. Yeah. We did like a feminist episode and me and Kristen were saying like we could talk and our audience is predominantly women. Mm-hmm. So like we like I feel like your job, not your job, but like the role that men like you play is so important because then the men will tune into you and yeah. you'll open their minds in a way that we couldn't because we, right. you know. Well, I so don't anyway. take it lightly, you know, and I, 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 
honestly, um, the bro culture that kind of grows up around some of the productivity stuff and, and the, I mean, you know, you always get lumped in with, with when you're, you know, I feel like when you're a man and you write like self-help books and you kind of get like, I'm very anti bro jockey, like all that stuff just makes me want to vomit. Like even to the point where, um, I don't like war metaphors for creative work because I'm like, that's, I'm not cool with that. Like, I don't want to talk in terms of, and even, so anyway, I, you know, I just, um, for me, it's just like, I just had such a rough, I just see feminism as a way out for everybody. I'm like, look, this is, if you can get down with this, this is going to, it's going to free you, man. Like this is, this is going to like take you out of your own nightmares. You're, you're, it's, it really will like, trust me. Um, and, and that's, what's really great for me. And it's, it's difficult because on the outside, you know, I'm a guy who writes books and I have a wife (laughs) who stays home with my two sons and it's like, it's a difficult thing, you know, but, um, I'm trying. While you're doing a great job. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. that. <laughs> okay. So yeah. this is our first interview of the fourth season of the show, and this is our season of growth. So we would like to ask you, how have you grown over the course of your career? And what is one specific piece of advice you could give to our readers for how they could grow starting tomorrow today let's start today well grow is a really great word and what i think of when i think of growing is gardening um i'm not a gardener my wife is and she's tried to school me in gardening and um and what i understand about gardening is that you know you kind of create the environment in which things grow on their own so it's about creating environments it's about and then it's about you know making adjustments and stuff but it's really about creating the environment in which things can happen versus making things happen um i'm going to pull this around <laughs> i used to <laughs> no, i like that i I used to think I used to be a very schooled person in that I thought of like if I could just like force myself into things like and just like with brute force like get I I could get somewhere with brute force basically like I could like it was more like I had a chisel and a hammer and I could chisel myself into you know like bodybuilders always talk about that like I'm chiseling my you know so uh, but I feel like with creative work the really interesting people they do see what they do as a kind of gardening rather than a, a carpentry like Prince has a song called um, Roadhouse Garden is the name of it and it's a B side on Purple Rain and it's about his studio that he built. And the lyrics are, this is the garden where ideas grow. And there's a band called Craftwork that my six-year-old is, like, super into. And they also called their studio an electronic garden. And so I've been interested a lot in, like, 
so to, to actually answer your question, which I feel like I haven't done yet, is I have been thinking more in terms of just how, like, not just how, like, I can do something, but, like, how can I create the environment, like, whether it's a place or it's the people I surround myself with, how do I create the environment in which I'm going to become what I want to become rather than, like, how do I chisel myself into something, like, on my own? So, like, my advice for people as far as how to grow is to, like, think of yourself as your own gardener, you know? Like, try to get a feel for, like, what soil you thrive in. And, like, I see those plants behind you. It's, like, perfect what I'm talking about right now. Like, what's... Yeah. I mean, like... But, like, and I barely know about any of this stuff, but, like, I just feel, like... Again, that's a metaphor that is not about going into battle or, like, fighting your, you know. It's about, like, what is going to make you bloom and grow and, like, what are your seasons, you know. Like, because there are times when you have to go dormant for a while so that things can, like, work inside you. And, and I feel like, you know, just, just um, I think for one thing, like, just stepping off the treadmill of, like, mechanical time you know like i've got a five-year plan you know like just thinking of you know things a little bit more organically and just like letting yourself grow at your own pace i don't know that was a real long-winded answer but good one self-gardening i guess good <laughs> self-gardening i really like I it i love yeah. that idea that All works right, you currently Kristen? yeah absolutely okay so we're gonna finish up the episode cool amazing episode um with our currently rounds and this comes from Kristen has like a currently card and we just orally go through it on the podcast sweet so you ready okay so what are you currently watching uh queer eye and um and what else i love sex education i thought that was really fun and funny i like things that are i tend to like tv that's like kind of smutty and sweet at the same time um, but we also just rewatched Spinal Tap, and it was so funny. I mean, it's like the best. And talk about like knocking that whole macho. <laughs> I love like I love the play. I love the part in that movie. Sorry, I'm getting off topic, but I love the part okay. where he's describing to the guys. He's like, No, no, no. If you guys were naked and she wasn't, it'd be okay. And they like just can't. It's just so funny. But yeah, those are the three things lately that I've been really into. I I love billions. That's like kind of my, I love Mm. trash. Look, first of all, like TV for me is trash. Like I want trash. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like when I'm watching TV, like I'm hanging out with my wife, I might be drinking some whiskey. Like I want it trashy. (laughs) So like, my wife and I, we watch a lot of like HGTV shows, like renovation (laughs) shows and stuff. And like, I want like, I like, you know, in some ways, Queer Eye is not trashy enough anymore. Like, it's too (laughs) sweet. You know what I mean? It's so great. And I feel like it's a sign that we're all so broken that that show is so great right now. (laughs) You know? um, But, yeah. And then what what other shows that did I – yeah, that's what I'm watching right now. Good. Okay. What are you currently reading? I am reading a wonderful novel by Andrew Sean Greer called Less – and it's about a middle-aged gay author who his former lover is getting married. And so he decides to take every invitation 
that he's been offered and travel the world. And it's just really funny and really, mm. really good. Um, before that, I the other novel I really liked this year was Elizabeth McCracken's um, Bowl Away which is really good. She's an Austin author and, and, and really good. Um, Nonfiction-wise, I love Susan Orlean's book, uh, The Library Book. As a former librarian who was traveling to Los Angeles, that's like the perfect thing to read. The other book I really like this year is uh, Werner Herzog, A Guide for the Perplexed, which is <laughs> a whole book of interviews with Werner Herzog. And every page has some insane story or some poetic imagery that's just nuts. And that, so that's, those were, those are my highlights so far this year, but the year is young. (laughs) What do you, I love your, um, hundred things that made my year. Oh yeah. End of the year. That's my favorite thing to do at the end of it. Yeah. I love that. My favorite. Uh, what are you currently listening to? Cocteau twins. Um, heaven or Las Vegas. Do you guys know that one? Yeah. No. Oh man. Um, good solid like actually it might be 90s just dream pop it's called heaven or las vegas it's like it's just I'm, gonna, a, I'm gonna write that down yeah it's really good whenever i do show notes the listening to is my favorite is that thing your favorite to show note. because awesome. then i listen and then like i'm yeah. like dramming to whatever you um, listen to so that's my favorite good i actually one. now i want to check my spotify to like tell you guys like what <laughs> else i'm listening to i'm also um yeah. My uh, my brother-in-law went to Ethiopia a while back, and it got me listening to this guy named Mulatu Atsaki. Um, it's the the title of it is Ethiopics, and and if you might recognize, if you ever saw Broken Flowers, which was the Bill Murray movie by Jim Jarmusch, um, they use some of that stuff in there. I've been listening to that, and then um, there's a harp player called Dorothy Ashby who was this great jazz harp player. I've been listening to her a lot. What else? That's pretty much what's coming to my mind. The new Carly Rae Jepsen is out, but well, she has a single out, but I haven't listened to it much. My, my son and I like to listen to Carly. Yeah. Oh, Robin, the Robin singles I think are super good. Like I, I don't really, I'm not a huge fan of the whole album, but Robin's Missing You and Honey, I think, are like, those are awesome pop singles. The Lizzie song is really good. I like, like, I've been really into pop anthems this year because it's just been, like, such a low year for me. Yeah. Like, pop anthems have been good. Lizzie's, like, Juice and, um, oh, God, what's the other one that she does? Um, uh, pop my hand back. Oh, uh, Feeling Good as Hell. Good as Hell. Lizzie, good as hell. That's a fun one. Meaty list so yeah, far. Oh yeah. my god, so good, so uh, good. Okay, what are you currently making? Oh, um, I, I, I mean, what am I making right now? This sends me into existential dread because I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm making this book release. Making, yeah. uh, yeah, I'm just, just making, 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 just like making the days go away. Like, yeah. just, like I've been making the days go right. Just like, just, you know, that's something that I think like in life, there's one of my favorite quotes in the book is from Nathaniel Hawthorne. There's this great book where it's, it's just a section of Nathaniel Hawthorne's diary. And it's when he was stuck with his five-year-old son, Julian. And it's got some crazy title I, that I forget. But like at one point he writes, we got rid of the day as well as we could. 
<laughs> and yeah, I've been so feeling good. like that lately, like with winter and like the book tour coming out. I'm like, we're just getting rid of it. And the boys are like, you know, they're six and four. So it's like, we're getting rid of these days as well as we can. So good. Making the days disappear. Yeah, good one. Good answer. <laughs> what are you currently feeling? Uh, I'm feeling anxious. Just feeling anxious about everything. Feeling anxious about the book. I'm feeling anxious about going on book tour, leaving the kids and the, my wife and just anxiety. Mm. I, I it feels like it feels like Christmas morning is coming and I'm Santa Claus. <laughs> but I'm Yeah. I'm Santa Claus if he had to like knock on the door and like he <laughs> had a creep, box right. of books and he was like Do you wanna buy this book? Like <laughs> If Santa Claus was a traveling salesman, like, that's how I feel right now. We are happy to be your elves, <laughs> so don't worry. Oh, please, We are yes, happy do, to be your do elves. Do some of the work. I love yes. it. Yes. So good. Okay, what are you currently planning? Plan this book tour. Yeah. Planning the travel. Just got, sure. like, American Airlines was like, do you want to buy status with points? And I was like, yes, I do. You know? Cool. Give me those upgrades. <laughs> cool. Upgrade, please. Upgrade, yeah. please. And lastly, what are you currently loving? Oh, man. I'm loving my wife. She's just mm. like, it's been a really hard winter, and our kids are such meatheads, and I am really <laughs> loving her. I'm just like, it's just, we've been married for like 12 years, and it's just been like, she's just still awesome. Cool. You're awesome. And yeah, this was awesome. Fantastic. This was and this fantastic. is a dream come true. No, this, this podcast for me just makes dreams come true. I this is a great end of the day. Like I awesome. this was really fun for me. So and it was cool. so nice to get to know you guys a little bit. This was absolutely true. fantastic. Yeah. Thank you everybody for being here this week. This was an amazing show. Thank you to Austin Cleon. Everybody literally go out and buy this book tomorrow or stop and like do your Amazon or your indie bookstore wherever you go out and you buy your books keep going and if you don't have the other ones buy them too this one is my favorite but this one's my favorite because i read the other two and i needed to hear this one and i need to just it's that every new single new. thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it just it it just felt like every single page i was reading and i was taking it all in and i just wanted to, i just devoured literally i read the whole thing in just one sitting it was fantastic and i picked it up this morning and i reread all of my favorite parts so Thank you, everybody, for listening. We love you. If you want to head over to After Chatter and listen to our exclusive Patreon extra bonus show with a little bit more from Austin, we are going to be over there. And you can do that at patreon.com slash craftyassfemale. Thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon. We love you. You make this show possible. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for making this show a possibility. Thank you for helping me and Amanda pay the bills. We love you, and thank you for being the best crafty-ass female audience on the planet. We will catch you next week with another amazing guest, and we hope that you have an awesome rest of your week, and we will catch you later. Bye, guys!